Welcome to First Pitches, where famous founders break down the very first version of their pitch so you can master yours. I'm Lolita Taub, co-founder and general partner at the Community Fund. And I'm Eric Bond, co-founder and general partner at Hustle Fund. Lolita, ready for some real talk with these founders? Sure, let's do it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you'll have the visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place. You'll have the agility to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. Join over 21,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. Get your free guide and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash first pitches. Frank Rimmerman is a public accounting firm whose history is closely intertwined with that of Silicon Valley. With humble beginnings similar to so many startups, Frank Rimmerman was formed with a desire to serve the entrepreneurial and venture communities of the Valley, supporting those who think outside the box. This is what the Frank Rimmerman team told us at first pitches. Even we agree accounting work can be boring. That's why we chose to work with some of the most innovative and creative people, people who are changing the world around us every day. Their excitement fuels our passion and determination to grow and serve this special community. Frank Rimmerman is the entrepreneurial CPA firm. Check them out at frankrimmerman.com slash Startup Services. Hey there, listeners. Hung Pham here, executive producer of First Pitches. On this episode, Eric, Lolita, and I debrief our interview with last week's special guest's founder and share our thoughts, insights, and reactions. If you haven't heard last week's interview yet, I highly recommend you do so. And now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. This is Eric, Lolita, and Hung doing a debrief of an incredible interview we just concluded with Sid Viswanathan from TruePill, the co-founder and president of TruePill. And wow, what a hyper-authentic and interesting guy that he is. Um, So uh, Lolita Hung, I'd love to get some early reactions. Maybe Lolita from you of like some of the things that you learned, your impressions of Sid I just love how human he is. I think sometimes when we're in business, we can get really caught up in um, archetypes of what we need to be like and how we need to be. And he's just very genuine, was so graceful about sharing his story, but being very mindful about sharing anecdotes that can be really helpful to founders. And I love that quality in folks where when, when when you can share your story and, and, and also teach as you go. And I love, love that quality about him. And of course, I mean, he's done wonders with TruePill from a business perspective. So it's just awesome to hear the journey that he's taken. Yeah, totally, Lolita. I mean, the, the really cool thing I think about Sid is, I think that's a stereotype that a lot of people who are outside of Silicon Valley have, or maybe those who just like aren't founders that, you know, enterprise people may be uh, a little bit more stodgy or stiff or just more uh, business oriented. But this is a, someone that has a lot of personality, a lot of storytelling, a lot of charisma. And the fact that he came from the B2C world, 
previous to Truepill to transition into all the all those skill sets into B2B, I think he actually represents kind of um, a, a more and more common archetype of a founder who like is sort of B2C and DNA, but applying this to growing an impressive B2B company. I don't know if you've seen this kind of pattern yourself with some of the founders you've been backing and supporting. Yeah, I mean, I, I also find that fascinating because in fact, my background's in B2B and from IBM to Cisco to startups, always been B2B. And it's been really interesting because oftentimes some of the folks that I've come across in the B2B space uh, who have these brilliant ideas and new takes of how to innovate in this space come from different backgrounds. And I, and I think that this is a celeb and Sid is a celebration in himself of diversity of thought and background when you're coming into and working on a company. So it breaks down that, that um, myth of you've got to have this particular checkbox background that matches this background and your your startup and so on and so forth. I really loved how he made it accessible to just say, look, the most important thing for me and what happened in my journey was all about getting really deep into a problem that I was fascinated with and I would spend 10 years plus of my life trying to solve. And, and that that has trumped a lot of this well, coming from a B2B or coming from even pharma, because as we learned, that's kind of how he, he found his co-founder, understanding that, that he wasn't that part and he needed that part and just going with the flow. And I, I really love how he's just broken down all sorts of barriers in terms of, of what folks may consider in the space being like the right fit mm. um, for particular companies or, or industries. Hung, I know that you kind of struggled when it came to putting together the show research on Sid because there really isn't that much documented about Sid uh, on the internet. I mean, Truepill is a it has become, I think, a relatively recently hyped, and I think the the kind of exposure to that team and their mission is relatively new. Um, can you talk about some of the things that? Sid revealed in the show that um, either resounded with you or just like were very different from what you're expecting from all the research that you'd done prior. Yeah, of course. Um, you're right. It, it was hard to find content, especially on, in the early days of True Pill. Um, there is some stuff that you can find today, but thinking back to what it was like for, for them, it was, it was really hard. So the content that I did find and put together, I think when you read it, um, on a surface level, it, it's a good story, right? Like Sid started a startup a year later, sold to LinkedIn, and then you know went on to start another company. Um, so I couldn't really tap into the human element, but listening to him talk about the challenges and a lot of stuff started to come out that I, I was like, oh yeah, I had that experience too, especially mm. when he just randomly, well, I wouldn't say randomly, but... Um, Message someone on LinkedIn and, and which became his co-founder. I remember I went through the same thing where I tried to start a business with someone who I didn't have any history with. Um, ultimately, it didn't work out. But for me, it was like, wow, he actually made it work. And that was, that was you know, really cool. And then the, the whole concept of, you know, when he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do and spending a, a, a different industry each week just diving into that, I thought that was pretty genius. Um, I didn't really think of that when I started Culture Summit. It was more like, okay, here's an opportunity. No one's doing it. Let me do it. Um, but if I, you know, if it didn't work out, I wouldn't think to like, okay, let me just pick another industry and then dive into that. So that was pretty, pretty smart on his part. 
I, I actually, so piggybacking on, on some of the stuff that he talked about, I loved when he said there's different types of founders. There's those that lean on a vision and can mm. sell that versus just saying, hey, I'm going to go for a particular problem and show that there's traction in here and go for it. And, and that's that's the camp that I'm in. That really resonated with me because I personally, even though you know, as an investor, you see both types of, of, of founders, I do have a bias to folks that can just say, this is what I believe and here's my traction and I love that that Sid also focused on the revenue. So you're you're not just selling some sort of vision, which I think when when I look at B2C companies, that often is the case where it's like, we believe we could do this, and yeah, this is what's gonna on, happen. Yeah. Early on. And when you think about a B2B business and you can try to sell a vision, but you really have to put the nuts and bolts of here's how it worked and here's how we're gonna scale it. Um, and and to to be able to clearly focus on the traction point and and that and 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 make and use it every single time they raised right because he did mention like this is the thing that helped us race along the way i thought that was really beautiful because i love people who are just like i need to know that it's going to work before i go and try to sell it to someone there's just so much integrity in that that i just really it just very much resonated with me as opposed to well i think this can work so give me some money which is the case with founders. I yeah. I think I talk to founders like that every day, like this is going to really work. And you're just like, okay. Um, <laughs> and so it's like, no, I didn't want to talk to investors before we could say, here are numbers, here's what we've gotten. And I really appreciated that about him. You know, I, I really like that you're going down this vein of thinking Lolita. So everything about Sid to me screamed old school, cool, right? He showed up He's like our age, right? He's in his 30s and youngish. And, uh, but he came with like his collared shirt. He was talking about a story about like, I want to be a good steward of like anyone who's a partner to me. And he, clearly he was implying that in terms of when he decided to accept capital because he probably could have raised earlier, you know, a million bucks. Uh, he's, he's got enough of the network to do it. Uh, but no, he wanted to sort of time it in the right way. And uh, yeah, like I, I think that... Um, what you're touching on is actually something I'm very sensitive about too when we invest. So I have sort of a somewhat derogatory classification of founders in terms of uh, goals that they have at the pre-seed stage. So I view some founders as like pursuing science projects. And what I mean by that is like, they're really smart, but they want money to just sort of figure it out, right? And, and then there's another set of founders who actually have strongly held beliefs that are, are strong, strong opinions lightly held right? So like some convictions and real opinions, but are out to actually create a business, right? And it's very clear that like they're approaching it like, I want to build a going concern. I want to see revenue that exceeds expenses. And uh, and you find more of those kinds of founders in B2B, which I think attracts me to that too. So Sid, uh, you know, is, is someone I should have probably stayed in closer touch with because true pill, my goodness, the way that he's building it, I would have given him like a, the mortgage to my house or something at this point. He's, <laughs> he's just, he's just uh, seems to be doing it very, very uh, intelligently. But, you know, I want to recognize something here too. Um, and I guess like Lolita, keen to get your perspective here. So I don't want to dunk on Sid because he's a lovely person who deserves his success. I really truly believe that. And I think we all came out of this meeting feeling like it's good to see a good human doing good work and seeing good success out of it. Um, but $39 million raised off of a demo day pitch deck. I think we need to reiterate how unusual this is. 
Like yeah. that's not normal. Uh, and I, I'm curious to see if you had any reactions, Lolita, when you saw this in the research and we're beginning to discuss that, not to the full depth, but a little bit with Sid too. Yeah, well, I mean, I looked at the traction numbers and I, I can see how something like that can happen, especially in a space like healthcare. I, I, I From my experience in working in um, healthcare, I did actually at one point when I first started my sales career at, at IBM, um, I, I worked in, in healthcare, surprisingly, which is why I know cool. that that's not exactly my space because there's so much stuff w- that you need to understand. And it's more like a PhD level, like you need to understand all sorts of regulations. And so I, I realized you know, that doesn't excite me, so I can't do that. But what, what I've learned is in the industry, it's either go big and go home or like literally that's what happens. Either you pour a lot of money into healthcare and it either works really, really well or everybody loses their money. And so it doesn't surprise me that in the space he's in that you could raise that amount of capital because the the market is so huge and the appetite to invest for investors who are in that space is enormous, right? So it, that part doesn't surprise me. Of course, I would like to highlight that this is very unusual in terms of here's a founder who has a startup and not everyone's going to go and raise $40 million just like that. Uh, but I do think that there's a lot of different characteristics that um, that lends itself to True Pill in one being the market that he operates in. Mm. And, and the sensitivity of healthcare is such a huge industry in, 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 our, in, our, in our country um, and in the universe, I mean, in like the whole globe, but in our country in particular, because we, we don't have this free healthcare and we provide things to our citizens. I think we should, um, but we don't live in Europe and other countries, but that, that's just the, the name of the game. And I just think there's a lot of money in this, in this industry. Well, you're actually identifying kind of an an arbitrage of information that he lightly touched on in his story of how he got connected to Omar, his co-founder. He said that Omar is British. He's a pharmacist by training uh, prior to uh, co-founding Truepill with Sid. And Sid mentioned, I remember in the interview that we just had, that Omar was sort of telling him how things worked in Great Mm -hmm. Britain. Yeah. And it sounds like there's a, something modeled of just doing what Great Britain and maybe European socialized healthcare has already accomplished into some of what is being manifest now in TruePill. I mean, it kind of begs like a question in my mind of like, are there other opportunities like that where you can go to a relatively accessible geo that's doing something different and applying this to the broken U.S. context? I mean, I think that's a great point because, you know, when I, I did my MBA in, in Spain and when we talked about healthcare and I, I talked to my friends about it and I said, oh my goodness, we have to pay insurance and all of this and healthcare is this. Everyone's just like, what? What is yeah. that? Like, how does that even work? This is like a human right. And we're just like, America doesn't think so. We're a capitalistic country. And so, I mean, to that point, yes. And, and I think um, there's other cases where it's not just what, what are other countries doing or how, does, how do things work in other countries. It's also just like, what are we doing that we're not paying attention to? I'll tell you a quick story. I went to Phillips Academy, Andover, and we had this thing called the Facebook. And it was actually just a directory, but we all called it the Facebook. It's, and, it's not Facebook.com, but Andover's no, version we, of the Facebook. No, so... so so Mark Zuckerberg went to Phillips Academy Exeter 
And I understand that we both schools, we have this directory that we called the Facebook and we had the Facebook game where you basically would go through the directory. And this is the time where we all had phones because it's a boarding school. So we all had phones and we had our picture and whatever. And so we would play a dating game with it. And we would say, okay, let's play the Facebook game. And then if you land on someone, you have to call them and you have to go on a date with them. Um, And so we played this game and nobody thought of making it a business. And then lo and behold, like Mark Zuckerberg comes out with Facebook and we're like, wait, why didn't I come up with this idea? Because we Mm. totally played this, this game at Phillips Academy and it, it was like a thing. And I think that's what happens. It's like, we may actually have this huge, like business opportunity that is right in front of us, but we just didn't think of making a business out of it. This is an extremely interesting take on what may have inspired the creation of facebook.com, right? Like I've never heard of this kind of background. Uh, but yeah, I mean like exact same thing we're talking about, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, a similar kind of application of a very similar model. Wow. Um, Curious, uh, Hung, if you had uh, a similar kind of reaction when you when you heard about that, you know, we're going to apply this model from this geo over here. I don't know if that inspired some ideas yourself because, you know, you're a very active founder and creative guy. Um, a little bit. I think the one part that kind of stood out and, and we didn't really capture this because we had stopped recording, but but towards the end, he was talking about how you know, complex businesses are the most fun and enterprise businesses. And I think that's the direction I'm heading, given that I've already started Culture Summit. I think I had I never done a business, it would just, I don't know, I would probably lean towards consumer because it just sounds, you know, really cool. But I think having done it already, yeah, he's right. Like enterprise is where it's at. And it'll take a while to probably get your first customers. But once you do, I mean, it's, it's a, a cycle you can repeat and scale. But yeah. I did have a question for both... Um, you and Lolita. So he talked about how, you know, when he started True Pill, he was forward thinking, but he wasn't really, you know, thinking about a, a pandemic or, you know, what kind of business to build in a pandemic. But it's more like uh, serendipity that it's happened and, and it's really accelerated the importance of what he's building. Does that change how you think of companies as you're reviewing pitches? Like, can this business survive an act of God in the future or something like that? I can take that one and Lolita, uh, you can conclude with better thoughts than what I just am about to share. (laughs) So um, we actually have gone through a micro version of this. There's one company, which I won't name just for now because I didn't get permission from the founder, out of our first fund that we ended up not participating in a subsequent round on. And this was one that I wanted to do. My partners didn't want to do it. Everyone had reasonable reasons for doing it, but because we didn't get to consensus, we ultimately decided to pass. And uh, it was this company was in a fintech space that uh, worked with a population that was uh, of, of Americans that was uh, lower income, a little bit less credit worthy, and ultimately we were just nervous about what retention would look like in this market. It turns out though that what never changed about this company was the quality of the team. We just felt like this founding team was excellent and they were showing incredible execution. It was just our conviction about the market. And after we had decided to pass, the company actually went through a couple more, I'd say micro iterations of the market that they're trolling serving and the product that they're serving. They're able to actually, actually expand the set of services that they're providing for the population that they care about, the same population. And I think they found actually a fit 
that is far larger, far more stable, far more exciting as a business. And they're proceeding into a large, large company. So this is a little bit of like my own anti-portfolio of like, we have a little bit of exposure to them, but I wish we had a lot more. And I think, uh, you know, Sid's, Sid's comment about, you know, you can't plan for a pandemic is absolutely right. Like, I, I actually don't think that you need to consider every single conceivable act of God as like part of your planning. Like, it's just not going to be an exercise that's, that's uh, fruitful because there's an infinite number of permutations. But if the team seems to possess that kind of resiliency, you know, creativity, adaptability, skill, uh, balance, I guess like the temperament as well. Um, all the things that I'm sort of seeing in like Sid and some of our best founders that Lolita and I have backed before, then there's a little bit of trust that the team is going to be able to figure it out when it happens and then find a way of surviving with their scrappiness and resourcefulness. So, you know, I was thinking a lot about that uh, when, when Sid made that comment, when you just posed that question of just like, you know, the, the core, like unshakable foundation of any investment that our team at Hustle Fund needs to make. And when we're collaborating with Lolita as well on deals that we often co-invest in is that we have an unshakable belief that this is the right team to solve the problem. And they're going to be resourceful about almost anything that's thrown at them. Lolita, I'd love to hear your, your perspective on this too. Yeah. So a great question, Hung. Um, there was something that I really, there are two things that that come to mind um, based on your question. And one is that Sid talked about how he never likes to tell any founder that their idea is a bad one uh, because he truly just doesn't know what's going to happen with it. And when Eric and myself and others in the very early stages where we're investing in very early stage companies, I, I think that was a really great reminder to me of, you know, we don't know what's going to happen outside of a pandemic or what can happen in the world. But literally, I mean, Eric's example was, was perfect where it's like, here's our perception of what's going to happen. And then this other thing happened and actually it, it's working out for them. And I think sometimes when you're an investor, um, we, some of us may actually think we do have a crystal ball, but the reality is that we don't. And the best that we can do is assess based on, on, on team uh, and our, our knowledge and exposure to what is an opportunity and is not. And that's, uh, I'll use this moment to just, you know, give, give like a, a little bit of a, a, a sideline on underestimated founders. That's how so many underestimated founders get overlooked because the, the investors looking at founders may not see the market, may not see the fit, may not see the opportunity. Now, the second thing that comes to mind when you ask the question, like, what do you think about this and in this pandemic concept? I really loved how Sid called out this pandemic market fit mm. because I thought that was, I had not heard it before. And I can tell you, Hung, that for previous investments, everything Eric said applies. For investments that I'm making now and moving forward, I absolutely want the founder to tell me how they're going to deal with their current pandemic situation and, and how this has shaped their business, how they have pivoted or how it's benefited them and how they're going to lean into it. Because mm -hmm. I need to know that I don't like, this is our situation. So I want to know. And, and actually this is a great time to suss out some of that scrappiness and resourcefulness because founders have to quickly react and have quick, have to, 
uh, quickly react. And so they're going to tell us their immediate story about their grit, their scrappiness and the resourcefulness, which I always want to know about founders. Yeah. I, there's a comment that Sid made that starts to touch on some of these themes that we were just discussing about how he has unsubscribed from a lot of information sources and is now taking in a low information diet so that he can tunnel vision, focus only on the problems within the healthcare industry and building True Pill. Mm-hmm. And for myself, actually, I've done a little bit of cleanup on low information diets uh, in the context of the news. I tend to find that reading about politics just really makes me sad and triggers me. So I've actually found myself to be a little bit happier in reducing pretty substantially how much I'm looking at Google News and so forth. But I was kind of of two minds on this. Like, and, and actually, I have the same kind of problem myself, which is like I could spend all day reading TechCrunch and the information and all these wonderful, great news sources to learn about different kinds of businesses. And I want to do that too. But there's actually an area of focus that I also need to build within myself. So, you know, when you heard about the low information diet, Lolita, and Hung, I want to hear your thoughts too after Lolita, is just, you know, how did you take that? Because actually, <laughs> and it's particularly you, Lolita, because you put together a newspaper, or sorry, a, a newsletter that, by the way, is incredible. You should subscribe to Lolita Tobbs' uh, Substack. It's a Substack, I think. Yeah. And, and uh, you are actually curating a crap ton of information for my benefit. Yep. So that might have sanity. So, I mean, just give me your reaction to when you heard that. I mean, I was just like, that's awesome, Sid. I wish I could do that, but it's just not how I work. I, I, uh, I do consume a lot of content. Um, I think that there's a lot of truth to what Sid has said. And if it's possible for you as a human being and it's part of your makeup to focus on one thing at a time, I think that's magical. And in fact, Josh, my husband, is very good at this. I get bored Mm. very quickly if I'm only doing one thing. And I just don't find life fulfilling. And so for me, I need variety. I want to read. And I'm a very good skimmer. I'm a very good, um, I'm very good at curating stuff for myself. And so I am on a ton of newsletters and I do read things, but I segment my time to make sure that, that whenever I am focused, I'm focused on that one thing I'm working on. So right now when we're on this call, um, I'm 100% here. I'm seeing Hung, I'm seeing Eric. This is what my whole time is about. Um, but no, I could never do this low info diet thing. I, nope, can't do it. But but if you can, that is so awesome. I know, like I see Josh, he literally consumes his inbox. He doesn't get a lot of emails. He doesn't get a lot of newsletters. He just does his thing. And he just seems so peaceful and like a Buddha. And there I am. I'm like, oh my God, I have to read this. And And it's just, I think there's a spectrum of people and it's okay, whichever one, where you land and what mm. works for you at the end of the day. What's, what's your take, Eric and Hung? Hung, why don't you go next? Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I agree with you, Lolita. And like wherever you land on the spectrum, you know, I don't think there's a, a right or wrong. Um, but it did bring back memories of Culture Summit. And for me, uh, one of the feelings that ha- has had been nagging me for several years is that I, I didn't feel like I, I took it to its potential. Um, because I think, you know, we were one of the first, if not the first conference that focused on company culture. So 
we got to product market fit, we built community, uh, we had first movers advantage. And I think for me, just not having that tunnel vision in the first couple of years and, you know, I didn't build it into what I could have built it into. And I think now when I look back, I just kind of have have that guilt. And so when, when Sid was talking about tunnel vision, that, that rang for me. Uh, but again, I think, you know, whatever fits, uh, wherever you land on the spectrum, that's whatever works for you. Mm. You know, uh, the feeling that the, the thought that the question I had actually to Sid, uh, when he talked about the information diet part of it, he said in the last 12 to 18 months is when he began to work on this. And the question that we didn't have time to ask was relating to actually what happened before the recording started and we we're saying, hello, I asked him, oh, I heard you have a kid. He said, I have an 18 month old, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and yeah, and yeah. for okay. me, a big motivation for my own personal low information diet was I need to make room for my kids and my family, right? Like I, I find myself that context switching, I can't do what Lolita does, for example, which is like, uh, by the way, <laughs> hilariously, uh, she was slightly late to today's show because she was unblocking uh, some some big project uh, for uh, uh, unrelated to first pitches. And then she's now like snap on like 100% focus with us. It's like, if I like end the day kind of grumpy because I found some sort of crazy news or tweets that like I don't agree with, it's really hard actually for me to just like flip the switch and be like, oh, hey, you know, kids, you know, let's, let's get down to play some Legos. Uh, I really have to build back up to it. So for me, like this has been the actually, frankly, one of the big joys of like, you know, entering this like phase of my life as a family dude is just like making a lot of presence and space for the for mm-hmm. especially the kids at this age because I want to enjoy it. When they're teenagers, I'll be like, yeah, fuck them. Like just, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go back to reading news all day long. But like, <clears throat> yeah, just like and the lower information diet is just really one of the critical levers I have. And I, I really would have liked to have understood and said, maybe if you're listening to this debrief when it's released, you can uh, follow up with us uh, on this about whether that's also somewhat family related as well. I think that's so thoughtful of you. And I didn't think of that because I, I, the only pup that I have or the only baby is my, my fur baby. Um, <laughs> but it makes a lot of sense that you, you do need to make time. And, and to be honest with you, Eric, I'm just so good with my time management um, yes, you pat, are. pat on the back. No, for um, sure. We, we can attest that me and Hunk can definitely attest to this. It's pretty but impressive. I literally will say Sundays are my family days. And yeah. so that's when I have folks that are like, we are going to have meetings on Sundays. And I'm like, I'm not going to be part of it. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, but I also want to, I, I want to hear that answer too from Sid. Um, oh, I, I have a question for you, Hung. Uh, what did you find like, really shocking or, you know, because we didn't have a lot of the human stuff in the research, right? As you mentioned, right. Um, was there anything that you found surprising and um, helpful also on your journey? Um, I wish I could have had said how he had dealt with like conflicts with his co-founder, uh, especially when they didn't really have any history and they, they just, you know, met by chance. Um, so I was really curious, like, how do you deal with conflicts and getting aligned? Um, just because I, I went through something similar and I, you know, we didn't really work it out. But that's something I wish I would have asked them in terms of like eye popping. I don't know if anything stood out, but um, yeah, that's probably what I can think of. But you know, you know what I think is really interesting, and I, actually, question for you, Eric, is this concept of because it seemed like you were also shocked by like 
how do you make this work when you meet a stranger and then it just, that's the thing you do. But I, I'm curious about your thought about it because I know you two are friends from a long time, Hung and Eric, but uh-huh. we're, we just met and we just did this and it's a different thing than founding a company. I get it, but it's a version of it. So maybe to answer Hung's, Hung's question, Eric, why did you feel so comfortable to be like, hey, Lolita, let's do this. I don't know you, but let's just do this. <laughs> Thanks for putting me on the spot. I love this. <laughs> so, uh, okay, a couple things here. I think that got me excited. The first thing, actually, like when we're putting together the very early um, an idea of first pitches was that, you know, I want to see actually uh, the right kind of balance of skill that would be culture ad- culturally additive to each other. So like, it would be a massive failure if there are three Eric's here, you know, just like, I guess, recursively discussing and agreeing about the same things here. And actually what isn't really probably discernible behind the scenes to the listeners of the show is how much we disagree. Like we actually have very different pr- perspectives on the problems or the guests or like the show structure at times. But I would say that, in many other cases, it could have turned into something a lot more bitter or personal or childlike. In our case, we set a very good social contract from day one of just assuming that we all come with a like a good place in our hearts when we work together, uh, bring that authenticity, and just be great. And and for me, like when Lolita tells me like, you know, this positioning is really problematic for me, Eric, and here's why. The first thing that I think of is actually just gratitude that someone cares enough for me to say something like that to me, right? So for Hong, I already had a good sense of his values because we've been buddies for seven years. And we this is the first time that we're working together on a business project, but we kind of got to know each other uh, early on before we like any of our current projects materialized. For you, Lolita, I think it comes down to really diligent stalking of you on Twitter. Because like in the past year, <laughs> like when I first discovered you back in, I would say early 2019 or something, um, over a year ago, I was just like, who the hell is this person who is just like every single thing that, she, that is coming out of her mouth or tweet at this point? <laughs> uh, it, it's just like, is like striking lightning into my heart of stuff that is like either I'm complicit in doing myself and I'm trying to change or is lifting up the exact community of founders that like I am trying to be modeling myself to do as well. And so I had a sense of your values, I think, just from, you know, <laughs> Twitter, which is really <laughs> strange. And then when we came together and just decided to agree on this social contract, like this is what we're going to do to work together and celebrated the fact that we're so different, I think it kind of worked. I think it's working. I think Uh, so too, if you're asking for validation. Yeah, I am. I'm asking for validation. (laughs) I mean, like, like you got to like share your reaction and hung you too. We're doing a little bit of a a 360 evaluation today, by the way, in this episode. (laughs) So please. Hung, you go go next. Yeah. Okay. And then you wrap us up, Lolita. Um, so yeah, I mean, like you said, Eric, we have we've have history, um, and so, you know, when you came to me with this project, and you're like, you know what, you've got to meet Lolita, you're gonna love her. I just said, okay, I'm gonna trust you, and I'm gonna love her until she gives me a reason not to. And she hasn't given you any reason yet. Right? Yeah, she hasn't given me any reason, so, right? and, <laughs> and it's been great. Um, I can't say enough good things about Lolita. I'm actually excited to like continue to build on this, and you know, hopefully, we can do more stuff together further down. But it's been really fun. 
Oh, thank you guys. I feel all the love. And I have to say that this, our relationship has really upped my game in terms of being direct, but making things happen because I, like, this is the fight we're fighting out there, right? It's about being who we are authentically, being able to disagree with people, but to work with each other and, and make things work so we can make something that's even bigger than ourselves. Um, within us, like a, in, a, in, in, like a three people building friendships, but also a show that can be really helpful to others and shine light on things that often don't get shined light on. And, and it's such a pleasure because you guys are, are teaching me to grow and to look at things differently. And I love being able to think, ah, so this is Eric's perspective and this is why. And understanding it and just sharing it and having enough respect to create a space where we can just be open, honest, and then just do the thing that makes the most sense at the end of the day. Amen. Um, well, with that, I think uh, we should go ahead and wrap up today's debrief where we've been talking about some of the learning and inspiration from our incredible conversation with Sid Viswanathan, the founder, co-founder and uh, president of TruePill. Check out truepill.com. And thanks very much to our listeners for coming in to hear the debrief today. More to come. Thank you for listening to First Pitches. For show notes and more, visit our website, firstpitches.com, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. First Pitches is produced and edited by Hung Pham. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate our show and leave us a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Berkland is the recognized leader in outsourced CFO, tax, and accounting services for startups at the emerging and growth stages. As a sponsor of First Pitches, Berkland would like to offer listeners a free finance consultation. Berkland also offers important tools on its website, a financial controls matrix, finance 101 for startups, contingency toolkits, tax and marketing calculators, and other critical resources for scaling a company. Visit berklandassociates.com slash hustle. I'd like to introduce you to a team that every founder should know about. It's GS Futures. GS Futures is a new multi-stage VC fund that launched just this year, investing into teams at early seed all the way through Series D. This team spun off from the GS Group in Korea a legendary enterprise representing assets in retail, consumer, energy, and much more. GS Futures is actively seeking and investing into great hustlers. Go to their website right now, gsfutures.vc, and tell them what you're up to. I think you'll be excited to partner with them.